Hello, and welcome to Recruiting Hell. I'm glad you're here with us today. I'm your host, Rob Conlon. This is episode five of Recruiting Hell, and I thought it was uh, high time we brought in some more resources for you, our listener. This was actually supposed to be episode six, but apparently this was the week that I blanked on the fact that the European time for our first guest is seven hours ahead of us rather than seven hours behind us. I've never had trouble with time zones, so we'll chalk that one up to I got too excited to do the interview and screwed up the timing. <laughs> Either way, I've rescheduled our episode with that guest for the near future and hope to bring the first of our mini courses to you on Resume Writing 101 here within the next week. So to ensure we're always staying with the theme of the show, and for those who are maybe just tuning into Recruiting Hell for the first time, let's do a quick review of why this show exists and why we call it Recruiting Hell. Recruiting hell is a term I use to describe the frustration of job hunting in 2020. If you head to any major job site or employer, there are endless opportunities. But it has gotten more and more difficult for the average person to land those opportunities. The whole goal of this show is to give you the tools to help find a job that brings you fulfillment and worth. Now, not everyone defines their self-worth on their job, but in American culture, we place heavy value on being a contributing member of society, and not hating what you do every day to pay the bills is a huge benefit to anyone. The whole goal of this show is to help you navigate through recruiting hell by avoiding the scam jobs, the bad employers, the too much work for too little pay, and the mental stress of being jobless or in a position that you absolutely loathe. We're here to help you keep your chin up. After your 200th application with no response your 50th rejection email this month, or a great opportunity absolutely ghosting you. So at the time of this recording, there are more than 20 million, yes, 20 million Americans that are out of work due to the pandemic or perhaps uh, automation processes or downsizing. Many of these people may not actually see the jobs that they left come back as the economy shifts towards modernizing or automating processes that are either long overdue for it or have been found to be extra. So in a nutshell, this show is about helping people. And if I can help just one other person out there land a new position and get them out of here, out of recruiting hell, I'll call that a win. So enough about why we exist. Let's get to the reason why you're here. Great advice for your job hunt and strategies to help keep you healthy physically, mentally, and financially. That last bit, financially, is probably one of your biggest challenges when you don't have a job. I remember when my wife and I were first getting married, our officiant was the pastor at her childhood church. And he required that we came on in and uh, talk to him about, you know, why we were getting married, what we wanted out of the relationship. And during this conversation, he made a point to tell us point blank that most marriage problems, fights, arguments, things like that, stem from one of two things. And the one relevant to today's episode is finances. The other, for those of you curious, is physical intimacy. No surprises there. So finances, when you're looking for a job or trying to get a better position, can be a real challenge, really a bear. Uh, Dealing with limited resources makes for tough times and short tempers, especially if your lifestyle engine is used to having two cylinders firing rather than just one. So I did did a little digging here, uh, and according to an absolutely shocking Stunning article from ABC News last year. Almost 40% of American adults 
would not be able to cover a $400 emergency with cash, savings, or a credit card charge that they could quickly pay off. Think about that. Let that sink in. Your car gets damaged in the parking lot at work. The driver's side mirror is smashed off, and your driver door won't open now. It's kind of an essential repair so you can get to work. I mean, I've been parked in, in a tight urban parking lot, and I can tell you that even in a mid-size SUV, my, maneuvering my six foot three self across the center console in the dead of winter is no fun whatsoever. Now, funny side note to that, I used to own a 1998 Toyota that actually lost four side view mirrors to causes that were in no way related to driving, mostly drunk idiots doing property damage on my street when I parked outside. Apparently, I had used up about 10% of the remaining parts for that make and model in that color that were left in existence. But it was a $400 expense each time. The moral of the story, sometimes bad stuff happens to your belongings through no fault of your own. So back to the ABC News data there for a moment. 40% of American adults wouldn't be able to cover a $400 emergency with cash savings or a credit card charge. Additionally, 27% of respondents would need to borrow the money or sell something to come up with the $400, and an additional and maybe final 12% would just be out of luck and not be able to pay it at all. Selling something. Yikes. You know that PlayStation 4 you love? Well, now it's a transmission for your car. That's pretty crummy. So this data is from the Federal Reserve's 2018 report on the economic well-being of U.S. households, but it underlines something really important. Many of us are two paychecks away from disaster. So that report goes on to say that Americans save roughly 7-8% of their pay a year on average. However, this obviously isn't every family, or we wouldn't have 40% of them being unable to handle a $400 emergency charge. So in our first episode, the first kit for unemployment, we talked about looking at what life looks like for you on a reduced or no income. We're coming back to that here. You and the people you care about in your household that have a say in the money management need to do an exercise and find out what your current expenses are in total versus your savings and how long you can last without additional inputs into your system. Now, again, that's episode one stuff. Just a quick recap there. But keep in mind, for some of you, this might be shockingly short and maybe close to zero. I've been there in my life where my wife has been nearly in tears because we were so close to being dead broke. She had a conversation with her brother about going out for $2 drinks and 25-cent wings at a place near his house. He didn't understand why we couldn't go. And that's fine. But things were so tight for us in 2012 that the $20 to get out to the bar he wanted to meet at and buy a few wings and drinks at would have had us most likely not making rent within the next month or two. That's a reality for many people right now. With states reopening from COVID-19 shutdowns and unemployment benefits either exhausted or getting close to being exhausted, it's more critical than ever that you get a handle on what's coming into your bank account and what's going out. Long story short, in tough times and in boom times, a budget can be the difference between maintaining a certain standard of living 
and scrambling to make ends meet. So can you continue to eat steaks weekly if you're unemployed? Sure, I guess. I mean, go for it. But there are far better ways to spend your limited resources that don't mean ramen for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. These are lean times for a lot of folks, and the number one thing you can do to reduce your spending and stretch your budget further is to stop going out to eat or ordering carryout. This is literally the single easiest thing you can do right now. Knock it off with the pizzas, knock it off with the Chinese, the Thai, the burgers. You know, some of those things aren't even worth eating once they're in a styrofoam box for more than five minutes. Now I'm looking squarely at you, burgers. Gosh, they taste like garbage after five minutes in a box. If you're ordering out when you're unemployed for any reason, other than a special occasion, like a birthday or an anniversary, you're doing it wrong. And even then, you need to go easy on it. If you're unemployed, you need to learn how to cook. Now, no one is expecting Gordon Ramsay-level food from you. I enjoy cooking, and I'm pretty good at it. But I'm pretty sure that I'd be called a blanking donkey by Chef Ramsay at least five or six times if I made him dinner. Now, keep in mind, this isn't a food podcast, but we're going to do a little bit of cost analysis here of eating habits to illustrate why you need to learn to cook and stop eating out when you're unemployed. The first step, if you can, save all your receipts from eating out for a week. Yeah, no one saves receipts anymore, but humor me and do it. I guarantee if you are eating out on any sort of a regular basis, you're going to be staggered by the amount of money you spend on food not prepared at home in a week. Once you begin to factor in other things like alcohol, it just gets worse. To illustrate this example further, we'll use my own life for a moment. My wife and I have a few favorite restaurants in town that we used to go to one to two times a month before the pandemic hit back in March. Each of those dinners out generally includes a $10 to $15 appetizer, two to three rounds of drinks at 10 bucks per drink, two entrees at an average of you know $30 a piece for a person, and we usually split a dessert for around 10 bucks. Now, if you add all that up, on the top end, this is a $145 dinner. Before tip. Before tip. Now, my standard tipping is between 20 and 25%. I was taught in one of my past jobs to always be generous when tipping. People will judge you on that, uh, especially in the business world. And it's a great piece of advice. Uh, if you are a notoriously low tipper, I would suggest changing your ways. <laughs> the folks at the restaurant are, are good people. A lot of hardworking folks uh, at the place we go, and we're regulars. They know us by name and face. And in our case, tipping handsomely gets us a better experience and is well worth it. But to illustrate for math purposes, let's say I do a, you know, somewhere between a 20 and 25% tip. Let's say I add $35 to the top because the meal was excellent. We had one of our favorite servers. Uh, he just made the night magical, and we had three rounds of drinks, so of course we're a little bit more generous anyway. Now the math for that comes out to $180 for a dinner. Two people, 90 bucks a head. $180 for one meal. Granted, this is in a mid-to-upscale, farm-to-table restaurant, but it illustrates the point. That meal 
is more than a week and a half's worth of groceries for my household. And even then, that week and a half's worth of groceries, I can go nuts in the store buying all the extras I want. I can pick up steaks if I want. I can go get the special cereal or the snacks or the 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 chips or whatever it might be. I can go nuts on 180 bucks in a grocery store, or I can pack it all into one little meal. Now, fine. Maybe you don't enjoy fine-ish dining and are saying, Rob, you love to live large. Come on. You sound, you sound a little like you really like to live large. Well, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I enjoy good times out, and I enjoy uh, some of the finer things in life. But let's take a look at another situation with something a bit more humble. Now, over the past few months, there have been two meals that have not been home-cooked that I've eaten while in quarantine. Yep. Out of the past 270 meals I've eaten, 268 of them have been stuffed from home or cooked at home. The first was two weeks into quarantine when we chose to support a local restaurant by grabbing two burgers with fries and an order of deep-fried cheese curds. Not a huge, you know, not the bank buster like the uh, other restaurant I was talking about earlier, but still pretty hefty. The total before tip on that, $45. Two $17 burgers and an order of cheese curds for 11 bucks. That's a yikes, folks. So if we tried to do that as an equivalent meal at home, that equivalent meal would run roughly $4 for a pound of ground beef, a dollar worth of seasonings and an egg, maybe some breadcrumbs to bind up those burgers. And bearing in mind, you're using fractions of your supply of these ingredients and not whole containers. You know, you don't want to pour a whole thing of salt or pepper into it. You know, you're using just bits. Uh, $2 for some really nice buns from the store. And roughly maybe $4 each for a bag of french fries and a box of cheese curds that we uh, we cook in the oven. Factor in a dollar or three for fuel and electricity to cook everything. And we're looking at a meal that costs around $15 to $18 rather than $45. So... Take the other example as well. The other meal that I ate that was not home cooked. An $8 take and bake pizza from Walmart. I don't know how they do it, but it's a huge amount of food for under 10 bucks. They cook up great. And in my area, they cost roughly a third to a quarter of the price of getting Pizza Hut or Domino's walked to my front door. Now, I'm not saying you can't have fun meals. What I'm saying is that there are far less expensive alternatives that you can find when you're unemployed, by learning to cook or learning to shop when the time is right for shopping for certain items, like that pizza. One other thing that's not readily apparent about the cost analysis we did just did above is time. The one resource we usually don't have enough of. Cooking and shopping take time to do. Even throwing a pizza in the oven and setting a timer takes a little bit of time. You're busy, even when you're unemployed, taking care of the house, cutting your grass, playing with your kids that are home from school for the umpteenth week because they're sick of YouTube. It relieves a tremendous amount of pressure on your financial resources when you learn to cook. And who knows, you might even get good at it, or dare I say, you might even like it. All right, but there's enough now of me scolding you about eating out. I do want to scold you, but I also want to want to make sure that you're not completely turned off of this show because I'm saying that you can't eat out. You can eat out, but make sure that if you are in a financially tight situation, that it is truly a necessity, I would say, to eat out. Because uh, 
So many people throw so much of their income away on pre-prepared food. So that's step one. That's step one. And the biggest thing you can do to keep your budget under control is stop eating out. So next step with your budget is to identify critical and non-critical services. These will be different for every person and family. So for example, maybe there's a subscription to YouTube kids. That's a great way to keep the kids entertained for a couple bucks a month. But you have to make sure that you wipe out Disney Plus, Hulu, every, you know, whatever other streaming services they use. This is a time to, to cut back, not cut out, cut back. Reduction in the number of small dollar value subscriptions you have adds up pretty quick and can help give your budget some breathing room. Whatever you do, though, I would highly recommend always keeping your home internet service. Online job hunting is essential these days. And you need to be able to access it at all times. But I can do that through my phone, you might say. Yes, yes you can. But if you do have a computer, the efficiency you gain from having the extra workspace to get applications out faster and in better format is truly to your benefit. ZipRecruiter and the OneTouch applications are great. But you're missing a world of jobs if you're not taking the time to go through and apply to the jobs that you see that interest you that don't have the easy apply button. So again, keep your internet. It doesn't have to be face-meltingly fast uber gamer internet, but it should have some zip to it. Most entry-level plans from cable and satellite providers are just fine. Now on that same token, ditch cable and or satellite TV. Ditch it. With more folks cutting the cord these days, providers are scrambling to keep their customers by raising rates and also raising the barriers to exit their service. Get rid of it. When I cut the cord five years ago, it saved me $180 a month. And the only thing I really miss is football, which 90% of the time I can get for free on my over-the-air TV stations or if I'm really hard up to see a great game. I can take 20 or 40 of those dollars I saved from not having cable that month and hit up my favorite sports bar for an evening. Now, note, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not trying to undo what I've said before. Football is not an excuse to always go out and eat. But that one ESPN Monday night game against your team's big rival might qualify as a special, special occasion like we talked about before. Now, in the same vein as subscription services, be sure to cancel any auto-billing services as well as auto-renewals. This might necessitate a phone call or two to get someone to disable it for you with some services. But this is well worth it to save yourself an overdraft if times get really tough or a surprise if a paycheck doesn't hit uh, at the right time. The only exception I would make to this auto-billing advice would be to keep it on your credit cards that you use frequently. Setting up a minimum payment for these cards is great, so that your credit never suffers due to missed payments. I'm not going to talk much more about credit card debt here, and suffice to say, we all kind of know that being in credit card debt is not a good thing, and you should get rid of it when possible the next time you have spare income. But back to budgeting. Thankfully, unemployment insurance can help slow the descent of your finances towards the red. We've talked about applying for those benefits back in Episode 1, so we won't rehash that here. But working out your overall cash flow needs to be your number one priority when it comes to budgeting, and you're going to need to use every cent you have in the most efficient way you can to make sure that food stays on the table, 
the lights stay on, and the job applications keep flowing. When you're looking for your next job, you're likely going to have a lot of free time. Now, a good chunk of this should be put towards job hunting and resume tune-ups and social media or personal networking. I'm not going to put a number on the amount of work that you need to budget for every day, though some states do do that. This is going to vary by person, experience level, the position they're looking for, but suffice to say, you should at the very least be looking at the big five job sites every 24 to 48 hours. Start by setting up blocks of time where you spend one to two hours just job hunting and try not to get distracted by anything. Distraction is one of the biggest killers of productivity. So this method of time budgeting can help you make the most of your search. Additionally, if you're checking every 24 hours or so, you're not going to miss those job postings if you say only looked for work on Mondays and Tuesdays. You're not going to miss those short-term uh, job applications that may be on those sites. Now, budgeting is not easy, especially sticking to it. One of the first rules I learned when I obtained my economics degree was that human wants are unlimited. We want it all. The car, the house, the phone, the clothes. But human means, or the ability to get those things, are limited. We can't have it all. Or rather, I should say, very few of us can have it all. If you're a multi-billionaire, I think you're pretty much set. But this is even more apparent. We can't have it all, especially when we're on a reduced income. So you might spend 10, 15 hours a week looking for jobs, maybe more, maybe less, depending on your skills and the opportunities in your area and how hard you've been hitting those opportunities recently. Bear in mind that even with the massive amount of jobs available on Indeed and other websites, there are really only so many you may be qualified for and that are available into your area without relocation. You can run out of jobs to apply for. It happens. And when it does, all you need to do is give your local market a day or two to recharge and get back at it. There's also the potential opportunity to look in neighboring markets. For example, if you live in uh, Texas, Perhaps you live in Dallas and do a Dallas-Fort Worth job search. Well, is it possible, and I know Texas is a very large state, is it possible that there may be a job for you in Houston or Austin or Lubbock uh, where you'd still stay in your home state near your family and things like that, but you may move at some point? That's possible. But in this case, you may actually run out of things in your local metro area. So you can do one of two things. And I tend to alternate between them. Uh, I tend to either take a day off, which is good, or I tend to look in neighboring metropolitan areas or metropolitan areas I wouldn't mind moving to. So this leaves the question now, you're on a day off from this, or maybe you've filled out some applications in the neighboring metropolitan area. What the heck are you going to do with the rest of your time? When we talk about budgeting, we want to get the most value for our money. During the time when you're out of work, there are going to be opportunities to pursue things you may have never had time to do before or to work on things that you really love, like hobbies and other skills like music. Job hunting in itself is a job. And while I've been dedicated enough to do it 40 plus hours a week in my life at times, 
that's not a sustainable pace for most people, myself included. Yes, when you first lose your income, you need to go gangbusters and get as many of those apps out there in as short a time as possible to get your interview pipeline built up. But keep in mind that you're human, and you deserve more than your emotions being ground into a fine paste by job applications and rejections all week, every week. What you want in a situation like this is an activity that fits your budget. An activity that has a low monetary cost and a high time yield of satisfaction. Maybe this is exercise. Maybe it's an epic RPG video game. Maybe it's woodworking or gardening. The possibilities are endless, but the main goal is low to no cost per month, something you truly enjoy, and something that's easily done for extended periods of time or alternated with other activities you enjoy for shorter periods of time. General rules for activities like this is that they should uh, cost no more than about a dollar a day. And now whether that's a game subscription that you sink hours into or a new pair of running shoes that you've bought for the next year, keeping your leisure under a dollar a day is a great way to help your budget. And as we've mentioned in previous episodes, getting fit while you're off work is always a benefit as well. Now, I can sit it here and preach at you about financial responsibility all day long and the fact that you're going to need to make sure that you stay happy and healthy while cutting line items from your budget. But I'd rather give you something that can help you account for every penny and where it's going. So just for you all, I bugged my other half to migrate her budget spreadsheets to G Suite so that they could be blanked and shared with all of Recruiting Hell's listeners. All you have to do is fill it out with your own budget numbers. The math and the formulas are all done for you, and as long as you place every expense you have in the sheet for a month, as well as the income you gain, or maybe you don't gain, it'll grind out the math for you. Uh, this sheet will be coming out after this episode as I figure out a, the best way to host it for some mass download, uh, but all the categories in this sheet are customizable. For example, while we have a bunny category, uh, you may want to change that to pets. Additionally, when you're using this tool, you can leave yourself notes in each cell as to what an expense was for in order to help jog your memory. When you use this tool, you're going to be amazed at how things add up or how they don't in some cases, and at a glance are going to be able to tell how things are going with your budget. Now, if you combine this with a totals page that it has built into it, you can see exactly where your big problem areas are for expenses. Now, spreadsheets aren't your thing. There are also phone apps that can help with your budgeting. Uh, the one coming to mind right now is uh, YNAB or YNAB or You Need a Budget. And they're right. You need a budget and you need to stick to it. Keep trying to look at the big picture when you're deciding to make a purchase or eat places other than at home. Learning to cook can save you thousands of dollars a year and give you a lifelong hobby as well. Cutting back on subscription services can have you wondering why you needed all 18 of them in the first place when two were cutting it just fine. Budgeting your time during the day can not only lead to more productivity when it comes to your job hunt, but also when taking care of your home and family. Budgeting is awesome, and while I'm not the one who handles the money in our home, I've seen firsthand the incredible security and safety budgeting can provide to your way of life especially when major shocks to your financial health like job loss happen. Budgeting has helped my family weather storms in life, and I know it can do the same for yours. You need a budget, and you need to stick to it. As a final thought, you know, I'll likely 
post that spreadsheet link on our Facebook page and potentially put it out through other platforms as well. I uh, want to make sure folks have access to that, but of course, uh, you know, you want people to be the listeners and don't want uh, folks coming in and just poking around too much. So we'll find a way to, to get it to the people who truly need it, that's for sure. And that wraps our episode for this week. Uh, as always, if you have questions, comments, feedback to share with us here at Recruiting Hell, you can drop us a line at therecruitinghellpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at, at recruiting underscore hell. Again, recruiting underscore, that's the line on the bottom, hell. Or, of course, as I mentioned, you can join our Facebook fan page. And lastly, if you haven't subscribed, followed, or shared the show with somebody, please do. I'd greatly appreciate it. And, of course, there are millions of Americans out there that could benefit from learning more about how to power up their job hunt and their budget. They're likely your friends and neighbors. Let's get them helped out. Finally, as always, thanks to Purple Planet Music for our theme and you, the listener, for tuning in. I'm Rob Conlon, and until we meet again, keep moving forward with your self-betterment and your job hunt. It's a marathon, not a sprint, and Recruiting Hell will be here to help you keep pace. <laughs>